good this morning. Thank you, Pastor Yeshua, for leading us in a time of worship and song in Johanna. Just invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, the book of Hebrews. And just a thought about our time of worship in song. You know, worship is, um, it's not just when we're singing. Worship is an attitude toward God that says, you know, my life is, is about you. I want my life to serve you. I want my decisions and my attitudes to honor you. And, um, but just a thought about our time in worship uh, in song. You know, I've made a decision personally. I want to encourage you uh, along these lines that every opportunity that I encounter where I can open my mouth, and in this, in this case in song, I can open my mouth and say, God, I, I'm going to declare your goodness. I'm not going to wait for someone else to do that. I am going to declare your goodness. And every opportunity that you have to do that, I want to encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. And, um, you know, we, uh, we take advantage of other kinds of opportunities. You know, some of us, every chance there is to have some good chocolate, we're not going to pass that up, right? We were at a wedding last night, and they had Hershey's Kisses. Oh, how many of you like Hershey's Kisses? Yeah, okay. Uh, I didn't pass up that opportunity. I, I walked past that table, and I'm like, there it is. I'm having some. And, and there's something about um, making a decision that every opportunity that you have to raise your voice in song and to praise God, don't miss that opportunity, really. Uh, because those are opportunities that are put in front of us, and there's something that begins to happen when you engage, when you open your mouth, when you begin to declare God's goodness, something begins to stir in you. And so church, let's be that kind of church where every opportunity there is, boy, we don't let it go without engaging in praise and in, um, in worship. So are you there, Hebrews chapter 12? I'm still not quite settled here. Hebrews chapter 12, we are, uh, we're almost finished our series on the book of Hebrews. We started at the end of June, I think it was. And uh, boy, it's been amazing. I have been so blessed by spending time in this book uh, of Scripture. And there's been some challenges. You know, the writer of Hebrews doesn't really pull any punches. He gives some warnings about um, what it looks like to rebel against God and, and, and where that leads us. And he gives some encouragement about what it looks like when someone says, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you and I want to walk in your blessing. Wow, what a, what a contrast there. And he also just reminds us, over and over again of what Jesus has done for us and the blessing of what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to uh, take a minute just to pray before we, before we look at Hebrews chapter 12. But I want to ask you this question again this morning. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? And uh, church, I'm going to ask you that often um, because Scripture says that if you're hungry, if, if you're hungering for God, Here's the promise that he's going to fill you. He's going to feed you. He's going to allow you to encounter his presence. If you're thirsting for the presence of God, then the promise is that you will drink. You will experience the presence of God. But there's no promise for those who aren't hungering. There's no promise for those who aren't thirsting. But for those who are, there's a promise that we grab a hold of. And so as we come to the word of God, are you hungry? Not the person beside you. 
you know, not, not someone that you really respect who, who is a person of faith. Are you hungry? And if you're not, as we pray, would you ask God to begin to stir a hunger in you? Because if you are, you will be fed and you will drink. And so let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I, I thank you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, that you uncover the word of God for us, that there's this thing called revelation, the uncovering of the truths of God, the uncovering of the nature of God. And we invite you to do your work in us this morning. We're so dependent on you to give us a fresh hunger for you, Lord. It's so easy to become apathetic or, or just to be really close our hearts off to you. And God, I pray that if that's our, our situation today, would you soften our hearts? God, would you give us that hunger and that thirst for your presence, for your goodness, Lord? And as we look at your word, I thank you that you will speak to us clearly. And so we take a moment to ask you for those things. And we ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, we, uh, we covered the first part of this last um, two Sundays ago. And one of the thoughts that we, uh, that we looked at, we looked at the first part of that chapter, which talks about discipline. And we, we looked at the, the fact of the matter is that God is a God that disciplines us. And sometimes that's a concept that we may not be comfortable with, or we tend to shy away from that aspect of who God is. But we looked at this fact that any father, any parent who loves their children will train, will correct them, will discipline them. And we looked at the difference between punishment and discipline, such an important distinction. So parents, you don't punish your child, right? So punishment in its, in its basic form is something wrong has been done and we need to exact uh, payment for that in order that justice is served. That's kind of just the, the basic level of what punishment is. And so it kind of primarily looks back at something that's happened that you need to pay the price for and, and there's justice to be served. That is basic form, that's what punishment is. Discipline, on the other hand, looks forward. In other words, parents, when you discipline your children, you are correcting them and training them because you have a, a preferred vision of their future, and you want them to step into that. You want them to learn and to grow in their character so that, so that they make choices that bless them and that bless those around them. And so as you're disciplining your children, you're correcting and you're training, you're equipping them for a future that will bless them. And that's how God views us in our walk with him as our heavenly father, that there are moments when he needs to discipline us and correct us. And it's because he has a vision for your future that is good. And there are times when we need correction. There are times when we, uh, we need to be coming back into alignment with God's truth and, and living that out and then being blessed by that. And so if you are experiencing God's discipline, the writer of Hebrews says, don't be discouraged. He's treating you as a son, uh, a father would treat a son whom he loves. He disciplines us for our good. So discipline looks forward. And then we know that at some point the rubber needs to meet the road, right? Some of you are just wired that way. Well, how, how does this really apply to my life? I want to know where the rubber meets the road. And so in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, part of it is he's detailing out as we undergo discipline and correction, it translates into choices that will bless us and that reflect God's purposes for us. I want to read this for you. And if you're following along, I'm going to start at verse 14 of Hebrews 12. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Make every effort 
to live in peace with all men and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, although he sought the blessing with tears. We'll pause there. So the writer of Hebrews begins to say, let's talk a little bit about God's discipline, God's correction. It's so that we are equipped to make choices that bless us. And then he really covers three things very quickly, very briefly. He touches on three things, and this is where the rubber starts to meet the road. He talks about relationships. He talks about uh, sexual purity. And then he talks a little bit about delayed gratification. And we're going to touch on those things really quickly, but relationships. He, he says to us, you know, there's a way in which we are to walk together in relationship. And, and we need to make every effort to be at peace with those around us so that in other words, we are willing to work through conflict. We are willing to honor one another above ourselves. We are willing to bless those around us. We are willing to forgive when someone has wronged us. And so he just very briefly says, you know, this is how it begins to translate into your life. As God changes our hearts, as he begins to allow his character to be formed in us, it will affect your relationships, This is where it just gets really practical. And so he says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy, to make choices that are honoring to God. And so he touches on relationships, guarding ourselves against bitterness. He he mentions that, that bitterness that can take root in us. Have you ever been wronged and, uh, and you've chosen not to forgive that person? You know, forgiveness and bitterness are, are really close partners so, uh, sorry, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, if you choose to, to be a person who will not forgive in whatever instance it is, then bitterness is right at your doorstep. Because what happens is we begin to harbor unforgiveness towards someone. They wronged me, and forgiveness isn't always easy. But if we choose not to forgive someone, then we will begin, that little root of bitterness begins to grow in us. And, and the writer of Hebrews remind us, reminds us that that begins to do widespread damage that it's like this root that begins to grow and it affects, it will begin to um, be part of what flows out of you, perhaps subconsciously, but have you seen someone who's allowed bitterness to really take root in their lives? It's difficult to see that. And so he tells us, listen, as God works in your life, perhaps unforgiveness is something that you're struggling with this morning. Perhaps you have been wronged in some way and we're reminded that as, as God enables us to forgive, then we guard ourselves against this thing called bitterness that begins to taint our lives. You don't want to allow bitterness to take root in your life. So this is where things get really practical with God's help. The second thing he touches on is this, is sexual purity. So uh, perhaps he had been hearing some reports that this was a struggle in, in some people's walk in this church family that he was writing to. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral. And so, again, just like, you know, six words or whatever it is, but he touches on as God changes us and he brings our lives into alignment with his purposes, as God disciplines us because he has a preferred future that he wants us to be blessed by, one of those things that where the rubber meets the road is sexual purity. 
And as I was thinking about this, I was just reminded again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, where God has given us sexual intimacy to enjoy. You know, perhaps you've grown up in a church setting where that was a bad word. You know, that actually, you kind of got this idea that sexual intimacy was, was inappropriate and it was just, you know, it wasn't something you ever talked about. It's something that God has given us to enjoy. And we're reminded that sexual intimacy in God's design takes place in the context of a committed relationship between a man and a woman. Genesis 2.24 says, God created the male and female. He's given us gender. And then he says, for that reason. There's a reason why he's created male and female. There's differences. He calls us to come together and enjoy relational intimacy and sexual intimacy. So for that reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. He's talking about sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy. Last night we were at that wedding, and we saw this commitment between a man and a woman before God to covenant in relationship. And so in that context, sexual intimacy is meant to lead to children. We are to be fruitful and multiply. And that child then has an opportunity to grow up in a home where there's a man and a woman committed to each other, committed to God, and that child is raised in that type of environment. That's God's design. We know that in our brokenness, it doesn't always happen that way. But he's just reminding us, you know, sexual intimacy is is designed to be in that context. We hear that message over and over in our culture where sexual intimacy is more about yourself than anyone else, and if it feels good, then do it. You know, it, it just, it, it's about our own gratification. Oh, it's so much more than that. But we hear that message over and over again. So, where does the rubber meet the road? We make choices to say, God, I'm going to do things the way you designed. And as I do, I know that I will be blessed. Third thing that he mentions is delayed gratification. So he mentions this guy named Esau, and he says, don't be godless like Esau. Esau made a choice that was not God-honoring, that was not wise. And he brings us back to that moment where there's these two brothers, Esau and Jacob. Jacob was a great cook, and um, he knew how to put together pretty good, uh, pretty good stew, lentils, soup, whatever it was. Anyhow, uh, Esau comes in from hunting. He's hungry. And what he does is he makes a decision to gratify some short-term desires, and he compromises a long-term blessing. And isn't that our nature that we struggle with where, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, if life really is all about me, if it's just about me fulfilling my desires, my wants, creating my preferred future, if it's really about me, you know, self-actualizing, if it's about me, 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 then, then for sure we're going to do whatever it takes for us to feel good. If we, if we choose to live our lives that way, we actually introduce a lot of pain into our lives. And Esau decided, I'm hungry now, I see that soup, and I'm going to have it now. This is what we struggle with at times in our own human nature. We struggle with patience. We struggle with trusting God, that he, as we trust him with every area of our lives, that he will bring about things in his time. We struggle with this. And Esau regretted it. He regretted this decision that satisfied uh, a short-term desire, but boy, in the long run, he missed out on a greater blessing. And I want to encourage you today that perhaps, you know, there's, there's some really good-looking lentil stew that you're tempted to dip into, but you know it's not God's plan for you. But you're hearing messages all around you that say, if you want it, get it now. 
And we are so set up in our society. You know, if you want a new vehicle, boy, they've got a way to make you get that new vehicle, even if you can't afford it. Get it now. Don't wait. You want that new, you know, 65-inch TV? They've got a way for you to get it. Get it now. Don't wait. We begin to short-term, short-term gratification, and we pay in the long run. And so this is where the rubber meets the road. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us that as God disciplines and trains us, it translates into decisions that will bless us in the long run. He goes on in verse 18 to 24, and he begins to describe what I'm going to title two relational realities. He switches gears a bit, and he brings two images to mind. Let's read it, verse 18 to 24. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. How many of you have seen um, any of the um, uh, Lord of the Rings movies? And as I was reading this, and I'm not, I'm not making light of this, I'm not trying to be funny. As I was reading this, I was thinking he's painting a picture of something we find in the book of Exodus. And it really reminds me of some scenes that I've seen in the Lord of the Rings where there's, there's darkness, there's gloom, there's fire. And so let's go on and, and find out what he's talking about here. He says, you've not come to that. You've not come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. And this is what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Let's continue on. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator, of a new covenant, a new agreement, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what we find here is that the writer of Hebrews is beginning to paint a picture in our minds that is such a contrast when we begin to look at it. And he talks about two mountains. He talks about Mount Sinai, which is an actual place in the desert where the Israelites ended up at Mount Sinai shortly after um, their exit from, uh, from slavery in Egypt. And so he's, he begins to describe, first of all, this physical place that you could go and you could stand there today, Mount Sinai. It's a, it's a geographical reality. And, but he, what, what he's talking about is in that moment, it was this, this revelation of God's law, that God was giving his law to his people, but it was a very frightening experience for them. I want to just turn back to Exodus 19 and read that for you. It's important for us to really get a picture of what was happening here. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. There's a whole nation of people experiencing what we're about to read. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a frightening experience for them. Exodus 19, 16 to 19. Let me read it for you. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. Have you ever been in a good thunderstorm? With thick cloud over the mountain, Mount Sinai, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This was, this was the nation of Israel's kind of first encounter with kind of the, the, the manifest, the visible, so to speak, presence of God. And the writer of Hebrews takes us back there for a moment, and he says, you know, you haven't come to this place. And what he's referring to is that we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings movie, he describes this moment. And, and the moment was uh, Moses trembled, the mountain was trembling, there was this trumpet blast that, that began and then grew louder and louder and louder. You know, have you ever stood at the edge of a railroad track and you've heard a train coming? You know how loud that horn is and then it gets closer and closer and there's a bit of anxiety that starts to raise up in you. you know, th- this is the scene that we're talking about, church. This was, this was an awesome, awe-inspiring display of God's presence and of his power. Everything about that encounter with God said this. It said, stay away. Do not get near. There was a boundary at the base of that mountain where God's presence was, and and, and the instruction was this, is even if an animal touches that mountain, they have to be put to death. So the, the predominant message in that encounter was stay away. And so the relational reality was distance. And what was happening there was, you know, why would God reveal himself that way? Well, here's the deal. You see, God had to communicate very clearly to the people that they could not come near. Why? Because there was in, their, in our sinfulness and in God's holiness, we could not approach God without being consumed. And so God had to display this very distinct reality where you, you cannot come near to me, God was saying. You will be consumed by my holiness because in your sinful state, there's, sin requires judgment, it requires a penalty. And so God had to create this barrier and so people came and, and, and the word that stuck to them was frightening. This is a frightening place to be. And the message was so clear, do not come near And so the people were very aware of the boundaries that were placed between them and God. God seemed remote. God seemed unapproachable, and he was, because our sinfulness created this barrier between us and a holy God. And so God's revelation of himself had to signal that we could not approach him and be near. And so what does the writer of Hebrews say? He says this, you have not come to that place. You have not come. That's no longer your relational reality in terms of your connection to God. And he begins to describe a very different scene, and we read that already. He begins to describe a scene that that is joy-filled, that is celebratory. And he says, you've come to Mount Zion. And so Mount Zion and, and Jerusalem, those two phrases were kind of interchangeable. And in that day, people knew that Jerusalem was where the temple was, and once a year, you would go to Jerusalem, and you would offer sacrifices, because that's kind of where the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. We know that he's not confined to time and space, but that was their reality, that we go to Jerusalem once a year to encounter the presence of God as much as we can. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to this dark mountain, but you've come to a new Jerusalem, you've come to this new 
uh, reality of being able to come into the presence of God. And he, he references this new covenant, this new agreement between man and God. And the word that is characterizing that agreement is, is grace. That God, because of what Jesus has done for us, that he has poured out his grace on us. And so he talks about how there's angels in, in celebration how there's people who have been made righteous because of what Jesus has done, how there's this hope of eternity that we can look forward to without fear. And he just begins to paint this different picture. And, you know, instead of frightening, the atmosphere is festive. And it begins to reflect and remind us today that God now invites us to come near. You see, the, the relational reality of this second picture that he begins to paint is nearness. It's nearness. God is near and God is approachable. So instead of stay away, which was Mount Sinai, instead of you can't come any closer, you're going to be consumed, because of what Jesus has done for us, the mediator between us and God, the new reality is God is saying, come near. You belong here. Come and, and enjoy relationship with me. Come and enjoy an intimacy with the one who has created you. And there's joy in being reminded of that. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to that mountain, but you've come to this place, that because of Jesus, you can draw near. Do you realize that that's God's heart for you? That his, his call to you is come near. Come and be in my presence. Come and experience my goodness. Come and experience the reality of an intimacy with the living God. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that the call now that we live in, the call is to come. The call is to come. And we draw near to God with joy. There is to be a joy when we consider all that God has done for us through Jesus. Now, I was thinking again on this practical level. I was thinking about our gatherings. And, um, you know, some Sundays, I feel like we're, we're back at Mount Sinai. There's kind of a gloom, right? <laughs> There's not a lot of joy in the house. And I think to myself, okay, what mountain are we at here this morning as a church? Are we at Mount Sinai or are we at the heavenly Jerusalem? Is there, a lot of, is there some joy in us today? Are we, are we rejoicing in God or are we kind of just here, you know, maybe we got ourselves here this morning, but there's not a lot of engagement with what's happening. And so just to be totally real and frank with you, and I struggle at times too. But church... Our gatherings are to be characterized by joy. They are. We have so much to be thankful for. We have not come to Mount Sinai. We are no longer in this place where God says, you cannot come near to me. But we are in a relational reality because of Jesus where God says, come, you belong here. Come into my presence. Come and enjoy an intimacy with me. And church, my prayer is that more and more we would have less of those moments where it's kind of Mount Sinai that we're at. But we are, we are in that place of joy. And that we are rejoicing. We are celebrating what God has done for us because of Jesus. And I want to encourage you, church, that every time we gather, that that would be what characterizes our gathering, that it's joy. It's God, thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus. It's not doom and gloom. It's not stay away. It's come near. And so this morning, God, I'm going to draw near to you. Because of what Jesus has done, I can draw near to you. I can experience your presence in my life. 
Can you say amen to that? Okay. So no, no more Mount Sinai. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. When we gather, and we may be carrying heavy things. You know, it's not denying reality. It's not saying, you know, I'm burdened today, but I'm just not going to think about it. But it's saying, God, I'm going to give that burden to you. You've called me to draw near. You have said that I belong here in, in this place of intimacy with you. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we feel like we're unworthy. We've failed again. We've messed up again. We've made a decision that we know wasn't pleasing. And we disqualify ourselves. And God is saying, because of Jesus, that sin has been forgiven. And we can come and, and just make things right with God. And we can enter into his presence. So the message, because of Jesus, is now come. Draw near. We have a mediator who has paid the debt for our sin. It's an awesome thing to be rejoicing in today. And then he references um, the blood of Abel. What's he talking about there? He says, so you've come to Mount Zion. It's no longer Mount Sinai. Thank God for that. But he says, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Pastor Yeshua read a scripture this morning that spoke exactly to that. Jesus has mediated the brokenness of our relationship with God, and he has paid the debt for our sin, and we now live under that new reality. That we stand before God as righteous, as cleansed. And so he talks about this sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here's what he's referencing there. He's re referencing now that the first, the first sibling rivalry in history was between two brothers, Cain and Abel. And in fact, it ended up in murder. And Cain murders his brother Abel in a fit of jealousy, in a fit of anger. And so he's referencing that in that moment, the blood of Abel was crying out for justice. That the blood of Abel was, was declaring Cain's guilt, that something had gone wrong, that Cain had taken a life. And so the blood of Abel was speaking something about that instance. It cried for justice. And he contrasts that with the blood of Jesus. And he says, the blood of Jesus cries for mercy. The blood of Jesus uh, represents forgiveness, that justice has been served, but we didn't have to pay the penalty. Jesus did. He gave his life. He took your sin and my sin. And the blood of Jesus declares our forgiveness. So, so there's this contrast where Abel's blood was calling out a, a message of guilt and there needed to be justice. And Jesus' blood calls out mercy and forgiveness. That what Jesus has done for you allows you to stand in the presence of a holy God, not in our own righteousness, not in our own list of good, but because we've accepted forgiveness through Jesus. And so the call is to come. The call is to come. Such a contrast that he paints for us. You know, I was thinking about this idea um, that Jesus, you know, if you, if you read through the Gospels, one of the things that will strike you about Jesus is that he was like a magnet. He was like a magnet to people that perhaps you would think would feel like, I'm not worthy to be around Jesus. You'd think they would stay away. These were people who were living in brokenness and, and who were actually you know, living in corrupt lives and making decisions that harmed others and harmed themselves. But when Jesus began to walk the face of this earth and began to, to share about the kingdom of God, he was like a magnet that drew people to him. And it reminds me again that he was representing the new covenant. Where he was, you know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, 
completely accurately represented God the Father. And so he drew people to him, and that's the reminder this morning that God wants us to draw near, even in our brokenness and in our failings. Jesus got invited to weddings. People wanted him around. And Scripture says he was full of grace and he was full of truth. He pointed us to the truth of God. But his invitation was, come and be transformed. Come and experience the goodness of God. The message that we live under today is, come. Come and experience God's goodness. And then we come to the last part of this chapter, and we'll read it. And he ends with a warning. You know, I think this is the last warning in the, verse, in the book of Hebrews, but there's several. And so he talks about this difference that we live under. Wow, it should bring joy. And then he says in verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Speaking of God, God's, God's told us of a way to be in relationship with him. He says, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them, speaking of Mount Sinai on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and let us so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so in these closing verses of chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews goes to great lengths to paint for us the relational reality that we now enjoy because of Jesus. He says, remember that you're under grace. Remember that because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That barrier is gone. Walk in that place with joy. Enjoy that place of relationship with God. But then he says, you know, don't abuse it. You know, freedom is a tremendous gift. I was thinking about that day when, um, when I, as a father, will take the car keys, and Isaac's our eldest um, child. So I think there will be a day where I'll take the car keys. There might be the matrix keys if it lasts until then. And I'll, I'll say to you, Isaac, here are the keys to the matrix. Go in and just enjoy it. I don't have to be with you. You don't have to have someone in the front seat with you. Just go and enjoy. Do you remember that moment? Wasn't that great when you realized the freedom that you had? Now, I remember when I was 18 years old, I bought my first vehicle, and it was a motorcycle. And I drove down the road with wide-eyed wonder at this sense that this is mine. I can use it whenever I want. I can go, you know, wherever I want. (laughs) Uh, But probably at that moment, I will also say to Isaac, you know, Isaac, enjoy this to the full. Enjoy your new freedom. You know, I'll be smiling as big as he is. But I might also say something like, you know, don't, don't abuse the freedom that you've been given. Enjoy it within the boundaries that it's meant to be enjoyed in. But don't abuse your freedom because that leads to pain. And so I believe what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we live in this place of intimacy and grace and forgiveness and mercy. 
but we are not to abuse it because the fact of the matter is we still have the choice to walk away from God if we choose. We still have the choice to rebel against God and say, God, my way, not yours. We still have that choice. God never takes that away from us. But I think he's reminding us to continue to enjoy the freedom that we have in God and to make choices that will bless us. And then he references that there will be a time of shaking. There will be a time of shaking. The result of that shaking is that what cannot be shaken will, will be standing after that shaking happens. And what we thought maybe we were going to put our trust in, what we thought perhaps was going to give us direction in life, what we thought perhaps was going to sustain us through the difficulties of life, that just ends up crumbling. And what remains is things that cannot be shaken. Have you ever seen the aftermath of an earthquake? And every building may look as though it is built to withstand shaking, but not every building is. And in the aftermath of that earthquake, you can look around and you can identify, you know, that survived the shaking. That was built in such a way that no matter what shaking came its way, it's still standing. And we live in a day and age where there's a shaking that's happening in the, in the slice of history that we live in. And there's a day when, when Jesus will return and he will put things right again. Right? God's created our world. He never intended it to look the way it is. But when sin entered the world, brokenness and pain did as well. And there were some people that were asking Jesus, you know, when, when is this going to happen? When is God going to return and just end all of this brokenness and put things back the way that he intended? And Jesus in Matthew 24, he answers this inquiry about when he's going to return and be part of God's plan. And he says this, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginnings of birth pains. And we know that birth pains as, as the birth of that child grows nearer and nearer, then birth pains increase in frequency and they increase in intensity. And, and there's just no doubt that we live in this time frame in God's plan, in God's timeline, where there is an increase in the frequency of the brokenness that we see around us, the frequency of things like earthquakes and famines. And you know, if you listen to the news, it, it really just seems to be growing. And Jesus said, you know, these are, the, these are like birth pains, that they will continue to increase in intensity and frequency. But how do you know that when, uh, ladies, when you go into labor and you experience your contractions becoming more intense and closer together, what is that moment leading to? It's, mo- it's leading to a moment of great joy, right? It's leading to the birth of a child. And so in God's timeline, there's this moment where God will return and you've heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of Jesus, where the way Jesus describes it is he's looking forward to that day where he will come back and there will be this celebration where, where God will be reunited in his fullness to his creation, where Jesus will return and it will be like sitting down at a wedding feast. And this is fresh in my memory because we sat down at a wedding feast last night. And a wedding is a time of celebration. It's a time of reuniting where people who haven't seen each other for a long time, they're sharing stories. And it's a time where they come and they bring all kinds of great food to your table and you eat too much. But there's, this, there's a celebration. 
And in God's timeline, there will be that moment of rejoicing where the brokenness of our world is made right again and where we will be face-to-face with God and he will once again make things right. And so Jesus said there's going to be some birth pains leading up to that moment, but it's leading to a time when God returns and establishes his authority once again. And you know, that is meant to bring joy to our hearts. Sometimes it brings fear. And we ask ourselves the question, am I ready for that moment? Am I ready, God, to see you face to face? You know, Jesus was saying we are meant to look forward to that moment. And I want to encourage you today that the way that you can know if you're ready is simply by putting your faith in Jesus. There is a moment where we will all stand before God and we won't point to our list of good things. We won't say, God, here's my list of good things. I'm going to roll it out. There it is. It spreads out on the floor. There's this long scroll. We've kept track of all the good things we've done. Now, that's not what's going to make you worthy to stand in God's presence. But what you'll simply say is, I accepted what Jesus has done for me. That's as simple as it is. And in that moment, you'll point to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have forgiven me. And I received forgiveness. I put my faith in you. And that's what allows me to stand before a God that's holy and that's righteous. And I don't need to fear that moment. And it's about a gift of receiving salvation through what Jesus has done. And so he concludes this way. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, the interesting thing to note is that God hasn't changed, that at Mount Sinai, it was the same God that revealed himself as the God that reveals himself to us today. And so what happened? Well, what happened was Jesus. What happened was Jesus. And this morning, we can be reminded again of all that we have to be thankful for I'm so thankful that it's simply because of what Jesus has done that I can make my peace with God and that Jesus' messages draw near. Come and experience the goodness of God. Come and experience the presence of God. Why don't we stand this morning? Would you stand with me? I've asked Pastor Yeshua to come and just to lead us in a song as we close. And I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that our relationship is characterized with joy and with expectancy and with hope because of Jesus. And so let's just take a moment just before we close. Would you uh, take a moment to thank God for his goodness? This is a song that we've learned a few weeks ago and it's just such a powerful song, a reminder to us. And would you this morning draw near? Would you allow God to once again draw you close. And if you failed miserably this week, just be honest. Say, God, thank you for forgiving me for my failure. And once again, I come. I just need your grace. I need your mercy. Because in my own mind, I'm disqualifying myself. In my own mind, I'm standing at Mount Sinai and, and I'm feeling a distance and I'm thinking, I can't. I can't approach God. But we're reminded today that when we stand in the righteousness of what Jesus has done for us, we can approach God. We can know the presence of God in our lives. 
So perhaps this morning you just need to make something right with God and say, God, would you forgive me for, you can fill in the blank. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's unforgiveness. And you're realizing, well, there's a little bit of bitterness that started to grow in me, and I, God, I need your help with that. But just for a few moments, let's draw near. Let's just reach out to the Lord as we sing this. Would you do that?